Coming up on Transformers University, it's time once again to find your fate, Junior, but on the other side of the Atlantic. We're talking Young Corgi and their line of game books right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to episode number 85 of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucali, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info, the website, the Toy Archive, the YouTube channel, this podcast, TFU News and Views podcast, and so much more. And I hope you're having a good summer so far. 2020 has been a year, <laughs> to say the least. And whatever your situation is right now in 2020, I do hope that this show, at the very least, provides you a little bit of distraction, a little bit of fun, a little bit of normalcy in times that are certainly not normal. This episode, we're going to continue through the rest of 1986, as we've been doing for quite some time now. Uh, 1986 has proven to be a very, very large swath of things to cover. Uh, I will note that we are coming close to the end of 86 in the next handful of episodes, maybe a little more than a handful of episodes, two handfuls of episodes, uh, that we will be wrapping up 1986. And one of the things we haven't touched on yet are these young Corgi books from, uh, I believe it's from the UK, or let's just say Europe, uh, but these were published, and we've done these before. Uh, back in episode number 33, uh, which is a ways back. but uh, And we also did one in a Patreon-exclusive episode back in January of 2019. These are basically the European equivalent of the Find Your Fate Junior books that we covered throughout 1985 and into 1986. So we'll have two more entries to go through here. Uh, the two books that we're going to talk about from 1986 are called Island of Fear and Highway Crash. Now, both books are written by Dave Morris and illustrated by John Higgins. We talked about them both back in episode 33. These young Corgi books uh, are interesting. I don't think they're as fun or as out there in terms of content as the US, their U.S. counterparts seem to be. And we're going to jump into it with Island of Fear right after this. Hey, want to help out this podcast or the website tfu.info? There's a number of ways you can do it. Let me tell you how. You can help us directly by joining our Patreon and enrolling as a student at Transformers University. There, you'll get early access to the podcast as well as exclusive behind-the-scenes peaks and perks for as little as $1 a month. Sign up is quick and easy. Just swing on by to www.patreon.com slash tfuinfo. Another way you can help us is by using our Amazon link, www.tfu.info slash Amazon. Type that into your browser whenever you want to shop at Amazon and a portion of what you spend will be contributed back to us. It's that easy. Finally, you don't become the world's longest running transforming toy archive without some help from other fans. We're always on the hunt for photos of figures and accessories we're missing from our pages. If you'd like to contribute, go to tfu.info help for a list of what we need, or 
send an email to info at tfu.info. tfu.info, the Alpha Trion and Omega Prime of Transforming Toys. Now, back to the show. Alright, so starting with Island of Fear. This one has Beachcomber on the cover shooting a tentacle monster while a kid cowers in the corner. Turns out that kid is you. And these stories, I forgot to mention this before, and I probably mentioned it back in episode 33. These stories are all told from the second person perspective. So the stories are written to you. So it's not in the first person written I as if the, the lead character is telling the story. And it's not in third person like a narrator is telling the story. It is in second person. So it is a narrator telling the story about what you are doing. And you are on vacation in the South Pacific with your parents. They are two leading botanists in the world, and you are on the island of Nali, N-A-L-I. And that is not a real island. Nali is the language spoken on Manus, <laughs> Manus Island in Papua New Guinea. Uh, how do you plan on spending this morning? You can either A, go swimming, B, take a walk, or C, get an islander to take you out on a boat. So let's say you decide to walk. We'll choose that one to go first. And you will uh, meet villagers over at the rice fields. And you will have the option to either talk to them or go to the beach. If you decide to talk to them, they say that the dormant volcano on the island is about to erupt. The natives then react to the volcano. And you decide to go for a swim. And that takes you back to the original choice of going for a swim. If you had chosen to go back to the beach, that also takes you back to having decided to go for a swim. So what happens if you had decided initially just to go for a swim? Well, you end up seeing a robot with a fishing pole. That robot is Beachcomber, uh, which you saw on the cover. And a plane roars by and the sound of that plane's engines frightens Beachcomber. He asks you if you were scared too. So, do you say yes or do you say no? Well, if you say yes, you tell Beachcomber that you're good at hiding your own fear. If you say no, Beachcomber is amazed and thinks you must be immune. Both of these choices lead to Beachcomber explaining Dirge's ability. Now you have to decide what you want to do. Do you want to help Beachcomber find out what Dirge is up to? Uh, if you say no, you and Beachcomber go your separate ways. The end. Now what happens when you help Beachcomber uh, find out what's going on and what Dirge is up to? You end up finding an islander. Now you have two options here. You can call out to him or you can uh, leave Beachcomber to go talk to him. Now if you call out to him he runs away and since he's run away now you can decide either to just go walking along the beach with your new buddy beachcomber or go further inland now if you walk along the beach you see dirge in the sky and you uh keep walking with beachcomber literally combing the beach tell him to comb the desert you hear me comb the desert until Beachcomber steps into a, quote, robot trap. And that sounds like a bear trap, more or less. And has a tangle of cables around his ankle. 
you have three options here. You can either grab the cables and try to pull them off. You could try to pull Beachcomber out, or you can run back to the beach. Now, if you, you grab those cables, guess what? <laughs> you get electrocuted. The end. If you pull Beachcomber out, or at least try to pull Beachcomber out, you get electrocuted. The end. Now, if you run back to the beach, you grab a piece of driftwood. You use that to push the cables off of Beachcomber, and then you find a generator that's powering the robot trap, and you smash it with a rock. You end up at a volcano, and Beachcomber transforms, and the two of you drive up the side of the volcano. It turns out that Dirge has been drilling inside of this volcano and could destroy the entire island. Now, the question comes up, does Beachcomber know that Dirge's engines, his fear engine power, doesn't work on you? Well, if the answer is yes, then you both enter Dirge's hideout. Beachcomber spots an electronic jammer. You take it down and turn it off to help him out and place it in your pocket. You reach the center of Dirge's hideout and you find the laser used to drill into the center of the earth. And that leaves you with a pair of options. You can either use the laser to uh, shoot Dirge, who is in uh, his hideout and does not see you, or you can wait until Dirge leaves. If you use the laser to shoot Dirge, Beachcomber will refuse. He wants a peaceful solution. You turn on the laser and it accidentally fires and hits Dirge and the computers in the base. The base explodes and everyone dies. The end. Now, if you wait for Dirge to leave, Dirge will transform and fly away. But suddenly, Beachcomber is pointing that laser at you. Do you stand still? Do you dodge it? Or do you take that electronic jammer out of your pocket and stop Beachcomber? Now, if you decide to stand completely still, you did the right thing because there is a giant tentacle monster behind you. Beachcomber shoots it. It's called a Denebian Stalker. It's Dirge's pet, and you've just killed it. Now, you have two options here. You can either have Beachcomber smash the computer that is running Dirge's base, or you can leave your jammer inside of the laser. If you have Beachcomber smash that computer, it blows up all of Dirge's stuff as Dirge returns. You use that jammer on Dirge, and he flees the end. Now, if you leave the jammer inside of the laser, Dirge returns, and you flee out with Beachcomber. The laser explodes the next time he tries to use it, along with the base, but the volcanic ash will ruin the Islander's crops. Both of these are final endings for the book, so let's double back a little further. If you decide to dodge Beachcomber's laser, you'll end up actually jumping into the laser because he was shooting over your shoulder. You die. The end. Now, if you decided to use the electronic jammer on Beachcomber, you would also jam the laser. The laser would backfire. Beachcomber would pass out, and you would get eaten by the Denebian Stalker. The end. So that takes us through one full play of the book. So let's double back and see what some of our other options were. So we're going to go all the way back to where we found the Islander on the beach. Now, if you had left Beachcomber to go talk to him, he would tell you that he believes that Dirge is a demon, a demon by the name of Adurgal, 
the winged messenger of sorrow. I did a little researching on a Durgle, and it's not a real um, mythical figure, but it seems like it's derived from the Indian goddess Durga and the islanders of Nali in this book. Uh, their folklore says a Durga is the devil. The devils! <laughs> now, you can decide to either listen to more from the islander, or you can decide to rejoin Beachcomber. If you listen to more, you'll ask him about where to go, and he will point to the volcano, which will lead you back to the option of rejoining Beachcomber. So if you double back to that same option, you both believe it must be Dirge, and then you and Beachcomber go for your walk on the beach. We're following orders. We were told to comb the desert, so we're combing it. Now, the other option here is that if you had gone and called out to the islander and he had run away and you decided to go inland, the two of you would run into a leopard inland on the island, and you would be faced with two options. You could either hide behind Beachcomber or run up a tree. If you run up a tree, the leopard sees you, kills you. The end. If you hide behind Beachcomber, the leopard will charge a Beachcomber and crash and fall over. Beachcomber would uh, give it the Vulcan neck pinch, essentially, knocking it out. But leopards aren't native to Nali, so you realize that Dirge must have brought it to the island. And you end up at his volcano base, which is the option where Beachcomber transforms and you drive up the side of the volcano. That is where you jump to. So that takes a lot of our options off the table, but if we double back, there's still a bit more in this book. Now, the one place we can go back a little further is if you get an islander to take you out on a boat. So after you drive up the volcano, you were faced with the options about whether or not Dirge's engines work on you. And we said yes earlier, but if you had said no, you would wait outside and you would spot Dirge returning. And then you can either stay outside or you can go into the hideout. If you go into the hideout, you catch up with Beachcomber just before he spots the electronic jammer and you carry on the story from there. But if you decided to stay outside, you hide behind a rock. Dirge goes inside in robot mode and closes the door. You wait and wait and wait. You go home. Nolly Island is doomed. The end. But wait. There's more. Let's go all the way back to the beginning to the original options of swim or get an islander to take you out on a boat. If you get out on a boat, you hire a boatsman. While you're on the boat, you see a plane and the boatsman is terrified. You also see a blue and yellow hovercraft. You can decide to hail it or you can decide to ignore it. If you decide to ignore it, you go back inland, and you decide to go for a swim, and it's the same as if we had gone earlier. Now, if you decide to hail it, you have two options. You can either board it, or you can go back. If you go back, it takes you the same way as it did if you had ignored it. But if you decide to board it, a voice rings out, and it is Sea Spray introducing himself. Just then, Dirge flies overhead, and Sea Spray deploys his laser, but he cannot lock on. Now, you can go to the deck and help him aim, or you can use his controls to help him aim. Now, if you go up to the deck and help him aim, you fire the laser and you hit Dirge. 
but Seaspray needs to find Beachcomber. You know of a cave where he could possibly be. Now you can either tell Seaspray or not tell Seaspray. If you decide to not tell Seaspray, he drives off. The book tells you to start over. The end. Now if you decide to tell him, you find Beachcomber. Beachcomber says he is on vacation. He reluctantly takes on the mission. You spot an islander, and then you get the same choices about approaching the islander as you did previously. Now, if you decided to use Beachcomber's controls to shoot down dirge, you have three options. You can press the green button, you can turn the yellow knob, or you can press the blue joystick, or play with the blue joystick, I guess. Okay, it's use the blue joystick, right? Anyway, if you press the green button, uh, this fires a dirge, he flees, and you end up back at deciding whether or not you tell Sea Spray about where this cave is. If you turn the yellow knob, it tunes the radio, and you hear Dirge say, Fear is the element that unites all losers. He fires a missile and kills you. The end. If you use the blue joystick, you aim Sea Spray's targeting computer, you fire and hit Dirge, and then you go to the point where you tell Sea Spray whether or not you know about that cave. And that are all the options for Island of Fear. My thoughts on this, it's, it's an okay story. It's not a great use of the game book uh, format because it doesn't take you in many different directions. It's more of like a circuitous route to the same goal. There's only three Transformers in here. There's some fun art, but nothing special. Uh, Dirge, though, is drawn with his cone down. And that takes us to our second book, same writer, same artist, called Highway Clash, and uh, features a very toyetic Optimus Prime and Megatron on the cover, uh, possibly clipped from box art, and the story takes place in Yorkshire Dales, which is uh, in the northern part of England. It's actually home of the Yorkshire Dales National Park, and you're there drawing an ancient block called the Druid Stone. Now, this is not a real thing. However, there is a place in Yorkshire Dales National Park called the Druid's Temple. Uh, it's like a miniature Stonehenge kind of place. It was built around 1820 uh, by a local landowner named William Darby. It was built during a recession to help the locals with some unemployment. Uh, so this guy wanted his own personal Stonehenge. He even hired men as a challenge to live there as a hermit. Uh, and the challenge was for seven years. No one made it the seven years, but one guy did last four and a half years living in this fake Stonehenge as a hermit. Now, back to the story. You see in here a huge lorry in the distance, and that is not Hugh Laurie. Sometimes the best gift is the gift of never seeing you again. And this lorry, a.k.a. what Americans would call a semi-truck, is escorted by a police car and several motorcycles. Something shiny catches your attention and you have the option to either investigate it or not to bother. Now, what you uncover is a large metal doorway in the ground. And then the book instructs you to turn to page 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. This door has a button which you do not need to press every 108 minutes, but you do have the option to either press it or go back to the stone. So if you decide to press it, a door opens to a ramp, which leads to a hallway. 
which, quote, looks like something out of Star Wars. You hear voices to the left. Do you go left or do you go right? If you decide to go left, you end up seeing robots. And on page five of this book, the art is uh, kind of suggestive of Megatron and the red one, as described, uh, just standing around. But Megatron's art is very toyetic, including his strangely positioned trigger and crotch area. And the, the red one uh, comes up to a very particular height on it. <laughs> uh, you have two options here when you see Megatron and the red one. You can either run for it or go talk to them. So if you decide to run for it, they chase you. And you hear an unpleasant sound. Now as this unpleasant sound is assaulting you, uh, you can hear something running after you. Do you hide behind a stone or do you keep running? If you hide behind a stone, the red one believes you escaped and gets Megatron ordering him back. Suddenly, the lorry and the vehicles with it are attacked by a flying cannon. Uh, apparently Megatron in this book can fly in gun mode. Uh, the police car turns into a robot and its driver jumps out. The lorry does the same. Optimus Prime orders the police to clear the area and the flying cannon is Megatron uh, with Rumble, the red one. Though somehow he had Frenzy's powers. Uh, that's weird, but we'll, we'll roll with it. He is described, by the way, as uh, being red and black. So he is the Red Rumble, even though the art's black and white. Now the battle ensues and Rumble rips open Optimus Prime's trailer to steal some microchips and flees towards the hatch. The Autobots don't see him. You have three options here. You can yell at Rumble, the red one. You can run to the reservoir or you can stay hidden. If you decide to yell at Rumble, he fires his sonic rifle at you. The Druid Stone deflects the blast back at Rumble, and you look at the crate of microchips as Megatron, flying in gun mode, threatens you. You can leave the crate and run, drag the crate somewhere, or threaten to smash the chips. We'll work backwards here. If you threaten to smash the chips, buy some time for the Autobots to arrive. A fight ensues, the Autobots win, the end. If you drag the crate, Megatron won't shoot you, but Rumble will grab your leg. The Autobots will arrive, a fight ensues, the Autobots win, the end. In fact, it's the same fight as if you had decided to smash the chips. If you leave the crate and run, Megatron orders Rumble to grab the crate and they return to the hatch. Prowl and Roller will then take the wounded humans to the hospital, and Optimus tells you that Megatron will use these chips to make more Decepticons. You tell him about the hatch. You lead Optimus to the hatch, and he opens it, and you have a choice to either go right or go left. If you go right, there's a corridor that leads to the power reactors for the base. You can either sabotage them or find the Decepticons. If you decide to sabotage them, as you're about to disconnect the power generators, they shut down. The Decepticons are leaving, and you're too late. The end. If you decide to 
find the Decepticons, you go through a grating and you can hear the Decepticons on the other side. You head back through the corridor and you go the same route in the story as if you had gone left. You enter the control room. Megatron and Rumble, the red one, uh, have their backs to you. Optimus Prime shoots Rumble in the back. The Megatron and Optimus duke it out. You grab the chips, which distracts Megatron enough to get punched in the face. Megatron and Rumble, the red one, flee, and you win the end. Okay, so that, that is a big batch of options, but let's go back a little further to some of the ones we didn't do. Now, if we go back to where the battle ensues, Rumble rips open the trailer, steals the chips, right? And you can either yell at Rumble, which is what we did, you can run to the reservoir, or you can stay hidden. So let's go with run to the reservoir. Rumble will see you, he will fire his sonic rifle at you, full blast, and shatter the reservoir. What do I always say? There's always a dam. <laughs> In this case, it's a reservoir. You make it to higher ground, but Rumble, the red one, gets swept away in the current. That leads you right back to where you grab the creative microchips and have your choice of running, dragging them, or threatening to smash them. Now, if you had decided to stay hidden instead of yelling at Rumble or running to the reservoir, Optimus Prime and Prowl will fire on Megatron. Megatron will flee. And that jumps right to where Prowl and Roller are taking the wounded to the hospital. All right, so let's take these decisions back a little further. If you had gone and decided to talk to Megatron and Rumble instead of running out and having them chase you, Megatron would introduce himself as Optimus Prime. Rumble, the red one, would introduce himself as Prowl, and they would claim that this truck is an evil Decepticon. You will have to decide to either help them or not help them. If you refuse to help, they reveal their true identities. They put you in a cell. You have an option to either pick the lock with a paperclip or try to imitate the sound that opens the door, which is a high-pitched whistle that you hear from Rumble. You have a third option of waiting around as well. If you take the first option of picking the lock with a paperclip, it doesn't work. And it tells you to choose one of the other two options. Now, if you try to imitate the sound that Rumble, the red one, makes, you whistle a high-pitched note and you eventually get it right. You head out to see the fight unfold on a video screen. Your options here are either to run to the surface or find a device within the base to use against Megatron. Now, if you decide to run to the surface, it basically picks up from where Rumble rips open the trailer and you're left with those three options once again. If you decide to find a device to use on Megatron, you find a lot of things. You find a red lever, you find a gray switch, and you find a green button. Pink hearts, orange stars, yellow moons, green clovers, blue diamonds, and purple hot shoes. You use the red lever, it sets off an alarm. You flee, but Rumble the Red One is heading back with the chips. The base explodes, and you're okay, but Rumble is thrown. And that takes you back to where you end up with the crate of microchips in front of you and Megatron flying over you in gun mode. If you try the gray switch, it turns the video screen off. You press it again, it turns it back on. You notice that Rumble is returning. You have your options here to either leave or hide. You decide to leave. Rumble is coming towards you, and you end up with the same options 
as you do after Rumble steals all the chips, which is yell at Rumble, run to the reservoir, or stay hidden. If you decide to hide, you hide in a cupboard. Yes, the Decepticons have a cupboard. Yes, really. Megatron returns, and he and Rumble gloat, but you find some devices in the cupboard. Your options here are to either use them or wait. If you decide to wait, you overhear Rumble, the red one, say that the Autobots are looking elsewhere, the Decepticons decide to leave, you lose the end. If you decide to use something in the cupboard, there are three options here. A pile of ball bearings, an antimatter converter, or silvered foil. If you decide to use the ball bearings, you pop out, Rumble runs at you, and you throw the ball bearings on the ground, making him fall. But Megatron grabs you as the Autobots arrive, Optimus Prime busts in, and then we go back to the ending where Optimus and Megatron duke it out, and Megatron gets distracted and punched in the face by Optimus, and you win. If you come out with the antimatter weapon, Megatron points his fusion cannon at you, you fire and so does he, the two weapons nullify each other. Megatron grabs you as the Autobots arrive. Optimus Prime enters and shoots Rumble, the red one. And then we're back to the same ending as if you had chosen the ball bearings. Finally, the silver foil. If you use the silver foil, you hang it from the inside of the door and you open the door. Megatron shoots your reflection. It's the funhouse trope that has been in many, many movies. Optimus arrives, guns blazing. And then the story moves on to the same ending as if you used either of the other two things in the cupboard. And so that wraps up uh, all options here. So we need to double back to your choice of instruments. So we've done the red lever. We've done the gray switch. We need to do the green button. It fires a laser that nearly hits a cop outside. Your choices are to run outside or to hide. If you hide, you end up in the cupboard again. If you run outside, you end up where Rumble is coming towards you as you're leaving. And then back to the same options of yelling at Rumble, etc., etc., etc. So let's double back to some of the choices we didn't take. If we move all the way back to when the Decepticons put you in the cell, we still have the option of waiting around. Now, if we wait around, the Decepticons return. Rumble is hurt and limping. He comes to your cell and he's about to drag you out when Megatron calls. The bars are closing. You have two options. You can either stay in your cell or jump through the bars. Now, if you stay in your cell, the Decepticons leave, hours pass, Prowl rescues you, and the Decepticons get away the end. If you jump through the bars, you see a video screen with the Decepticons returning. You have your choice to either hide or to exit. If you hide, you end up in the cupboard. If you exit, you end up finding the devices in the cupboard and you're left with the choices of using those devices. So that now takes us back to when Megatron introduces himself as Optimus and Rumble, the red one, as Prowl. If you agree to help them, the Decepticons will want you to stop the convoy. Convoy. You head up to the road, and you have two options. You can either stop the convoy or head on back. If you decide to stop the convoy, you flag it down. The Decepticons attack. The Autobots transform. You realize you've been tricked, and Rumble rips open the door to the trailer and steals the chips. And that'll lead to the point where Prowl and Roller are helping the wounded. 
if you decide to return and not attack the convoy, the Decepticons will run past you and attack the convoy anyway. And then once again, that takes you to the point where you can yell at Rumble, run to the reservoir, or stay hidden. So that leaves only a few options left to explore. So we have to go all the way back to when you enter the hatch for the first time. If you decided to go right instead of left, you would move uh, a grating and end up in a control room with two robots that you, at that point, don't know. You have your option then here to talk to them, which is the same option as if you had gone left and then found them and talked to them. You have the option to stay hidden, which you can then see them watching the convoy on a screen and hear their plan, which would then lead you outside, which is your third option. You can go outside, and that will take you to, to the point where the flying gun mode Megatron attacks the convoy. Now, there's a couple more choices here. You could have chosen not to press the button on the hatch and going back to the Druid Stone. That would actually take you to the same page as if you hadn't taken the second option of the first choice, which was to not bother investigating the hatch. From that line of decisions, you would see the convoy get attacked, and then you would see the battle ensue and rumble ripping open the trailer, etc., etc., back to where you need to either yell, run, or stay hidden. And that's all of our options for this story. Um, much like Island of Fear, this really does lack a lot of the horrible deaths or of uh, the character that is supposed to be you. Um, also noticing the character choices here, this was probably written in 85, and published in 86 since it is all um, first year characters not even second year characters but first year characters in this book uh, whereas Island of Fear is all second year characters and published in 86 and that covers all of these two young Corgi stories now before I wrap things up I do want to revisit one thing from the previous episode uh, if you joined us for episode 84, or where I covered the Transformers Universe miniseries from Marvel, and my good friend, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman, reached out to me and said he wanted to comment a bit on those books. And, you know, I hadn't thought about reaching out to anyone on those books because I didn't think there was much of a personal connection, but Gabe wanted to chime in with a few things. So, without further ado, my good friend, Gabriel Owens. The Salty Sea Man. Hey folks, Salty Seaman here. Uh, thought I'd go over uh, a few of the things from the TFU books uh, and covered on the last uh, Now episode. A uh, little timing issue here, but, you know, I figured go ahead and throw my two cents and I'll take a look at this from, you know, what, you know, I remember as a kid. I owned one and four. Uh, so... You know, a lot of my impressions of what the characters were in those two issues came from those having those. I think Ann got a good job of explaining how much, you know, we didn't know, you know, you didn't often know the personalities of the characters because, you know, you'd get, you know, like a one paragraph summation in the comics maybe. And a lot of times a lot of the guys just kind of background and never really got to show their personality in the cartoon. So you end up with, uh, you know, unless, you know, you went and memorized or, you know, which I used to do. I used to read the, the text specs at Kmart all the time. You know, I, we went about every week. So I, you know, I knew a lot of characters, you know, text specs just from doing that. And of course, 
my two issues of TFU. Uh, you know, two of my favorites, uh, Blades. Uh, it's another one I don't really see talked a lot about, about him being just kind of a punk. Just a guy who likes to get in fights and, you know, is just... You know, he's that dude that's the first guy to, you know, get into, get into a brawl in the streets or whatever, Decepticons or not. I always love that characterization, and that's what I, uh, you know, always played him up as in my playtime as a kid. You know, he was always the first guy to want to run into a fight. And again, a, one, a characterization I don't remember ever seeing anywhere. I mean, you know, maybe one of the comic issues uh gave him that little one paragraph and i like to fight I, I don't know uh i'm sure anthony could tell me if such a thing ever happened uh another one uh blaster kind of sounds like an idiot in this uh, i've you know he he doesn't his tech spec is definitely more of his tv character vice as cartoon but he's even you know they kind of played up as like his weaknesses he can't control himself around rock and roll and kind of makes him sound stupid i always thought i was like I think you could, you know, contain yourself a little bit, buddy. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, Broadside was I, a toy I did own, but it was a second hand in a trade from a daycare, I think. You know, no accessories. Uh, I don't think, I think half the stickers are missing or misapplied and no, uh, you know, definitely no tech spec. So this is my, I, I did get my, the characterization from the TFU book. And yeah, it was just like, man, he got such a raw deal. It's like, you know, he's basically being forced to do two things he hates uh, just because, like, yeah, you're designed this way. You know, you end up with some moral and ethical issues here. Uh, so I always kind of, you know, you know about broadsides, uh, you know, said he hates, he's a fear of heights and he gets seasick. And his other, on top of that, his other weakness says he gets rust if he's out to sea too long because apparently they don't know how to, you know, he doesn't have a crew of deck uh, people, you know, busting rust and keeping it. <laughs> you know, you think, you know, this is like the second guy I think we have that, you know, lists his rust as a weakness, steel jaw being another. You'd think it'd be one of those things the uh, Transformers would have eliminated by now in their life. But, you know, that seems to be one of those slightly, uh, you know, you could say inconsistent things. Uh, Dive Bomb was another one. Uh, I got, uh, I think, same thing, same thing of... It was a trade of some sort, uh, I think, from uh, from daycare. Again, I think it was the only Predacon I had growing up. You know, I had the wings, but you know, no weapons. Uh, you know, I think I think I don't think he had any stickers. You know, uh, but you know, it was cool. I always loved the toy. Uh, but yeah, I always I don't think I ever paid attention to this tech. I mean, I had this tech spec before I had dive bomb. And it didn't color my, you know, what I ended up, you know, kind of making his personality at all. I guess I just didn't really care for it or it just didn't stick in my head. It's like, you know, I read these issues, you know, multiple times. I definitely remember being, uh, you know, a, a little kind of uh, weirded out by their dismissiveness of Grimlock's weaknesses in his weakness section. You know, other than arrogance and lack of, lack of speed, those are two pretty big differences your enemies can exploit on you. Even if you are otherwise, you know, giant and tough as nails like Grimmy is. So I always thought that was funny. Like, they yeah, don't consider that to be a big deal. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember, like, I had Tailgate, and I always liked this his write-ups, you know, both the original tech spec and the, the TFU entry. But yeah, in retrospect, man, it's like, that. Like Tailgate needs psychiatric help. He shouldn't be, you know, serving in the military. <laughs> he's, 
he cannot tell reality from fantasy. You know, his whole gimmick of, uh, you know, he can't, he, you know, he doesn't, he believes uh, Earth uh, beings are alive, which, you know, given what we've seen of the Transformers is, again, it, it's kind of trying to come up with interesting things, I think, sometimes for these, uh, you know, tech specs was always, a, you know, you kind of end up creating some real, some real goofballs here. And I, uh, so that, that one's, I, I find that funny on reread. Uh, yeah, power power glides are weaknesses kind of BS. Or not power glide warpaths weaknesses are kind of BS. I remember that one. Like, okay, if he gets upended, he can't. He he's helpless, which you know a normal tank would be. But he's not a normal tank. He can transform into a robot. If he gets upended, he just transforms and roll and you know tumbles over. <laughs> he continues firing from his chest. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things they're looking for. You know, something to fill in, and that's just, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, yeah, I can imagine after writing, you know, God knows how many of these, uh, I assume Budiansky did, uh, you know, how he gets these, you know, ideas that, you know, one hand's like, oh, yeah, that, that would make sense. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. No, it doesn't. You know, we see some interesting uh, changes in ideas with, uh, you know, where R.C. was going. You know, R.C. in the movie, I guess, was supposed to be the love interest of Hot Rod, which is very, uh, you know, talked about in, in her tech spec uh you know, and we had that scene of them kind of uh, argue flirting at the, the the Battle of Autobot City, and then of course, you know, the the big change is you know, the the series that goes in a different direction, and she hooks up with Springer. You know, first time we have a regular female, of course, she has to be hooking up with people. That's just the nature of things, I guess. She's also the only girl of, that we see pretty much of thousands of men. So hey, uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, the launch of a thousand fanfics and love triangles. Uh, shout out to Bobby Carruthers. Uh, that little, I think that little detail in the tech spec actually added too pretty strongly. No, and, and poor Arbliss here, uh, geez, just, just, just getting crapped on this guy, you know, just everything that happens to him in the tech spec is like, he's a big chicken coward. He, he ran from a monster plant. I'm like, what a, it's, what a mean write up for no good reason to this poor character. Oh, it's pretty funny. Uh, I will say this is, you know, I never picked up, uh, no pun intended, you know, Cup's nickname, Cup's name comes from pickup truck until they spelled it out in this tech spec. So, uh, thank you, Bob. You know, and speaking of Springer, uh, yeah, it, you know, I did not own it as a toy. Uh, I, I did read the tech spec and, you know, there was a mom and pop store near my, where my mom owned a restaurant for a while that had a Springer. I used to go in there uh, wanting to get it, and I never did. Uh, but I read that tech spec a few times, and of course this one. Cause Springer's one of my favorite characters, and yeah, both talk about the springing, his great springing ability, where he supposedly he gets his name, but like we never ever see anywhere. I don't think. Uh, so you know, always interesting. His name's a weird artifact for something he never really does in fiction, even though you know that's been part. Of, that's always been his name, and you know, been part of his tech spec. So uh, that's so pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, that's it. I just, you know, a little quick, a uh, little quickie here uh, from the two issues I had as a kid and how it kind of shaped how I saw a lot of uh, Transformers and especially my uh, my own little, uh, you know, acted out fanfics around my bedroom. Back to you, Ant. And of course, you can catch Gabe on his YouTube channel, The Salty Sea Man, over at youtube.com slash recharge138. Thanks for listening to the show. Stick around to hear what's coming up next episode. But first, I want to fill you in on a few ways you can stay in touch with the show. 
Want to be on the show? Leave us a voicemail at 702-763-4838. That's 702-POD-4TFU. Or send an email to info at tfu.info. Be sure to catch us on Twitter at TFU underscore info and on Facebook and Instagram under the username TFU info, all one word. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash TFU info, where we post all of our podcasts, plus special video segments, reviews, and live coverage of Transformers-related events such as New York Toy Fair and New York Comic Con. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit us at www.tfu.info, the world's longest-running transforming toy archive. Next time on the show, we are staying in Europe, staying in the UK, and wrapping up 1986 for Marvel UK. We've got one issue, issue 93, the Christmas issue, plus we're going to talk of the 1986 annual from Marvel UK, and you will not want to miss this one. The Marvel UK annual has one of the most important text stories in Transformers history. Uh, it's one of the most important stories of the Marvel UK run. It goes on to affect all sorts of Transformers fiction in the future. So please, don't miss out on it. It was actually my first time reading it, uh, preparing for that episode. And if you want to hear more, you're just going to have to come back for episode number 86 of Transformers University. Until then, I am your host. Anthony Brucalli, owner-operator Madman behind TFU.info. Till next time, see ya.